Well, so good to be with everyone this morning here at Saxton and online as well. Uh, would you take a moment with me? Let's just pray. Father, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you that you are outside of time. Thank you, Father, that you know just what each one of us need. And I pray for that real power, that grace that comes by the hearing of your word. I pray for wisdom and revelation for every person. I pray that every heart would be touched here and online in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to speak to you about the science and the spirituality of silence and solitude. When Jesus said in John chapter 10 that He had come, that we might have abundant life, life to the full, more fuller and more life than ever before. I think sometimes in 2022, we might think He was joking or that it applied to some other time. Because the cause for those kind of feelings though, they come from a lot of things culturally for us. Um, no doubt about it, when uh, a person commits their life to Jesus Christ, maybe they put a hand up in a service and commit by praying a prayer, all vital moments and steps. It's a bit of a wake-up call when before too long we realise that maybe other parts of our lives are not being transformed as fast as it took to put a hand up. You know, we, we respond and salvation is 100% sure and it's a gift. But much like a Rimu tree, if we're going to grow deep and we're going to grow strong, we're going to have to grow slowly. Uh, salvation is without a doubt an instantaneous transaction in the heavenlies. But that character and that change, and we've said it a number of times, that Jesus's abundant life is not in competition with this dopamine-driven life that we sometimes like a lot of. It's not how abundance works. The Apostle Paul was dealing with this in a first group of Jewish um, culture, first group of Jesus followers, believers in Rome, when the issue of food came up and they were asking him whether it was okay to eat this and eat that. And culturally, it was um, certainly changing now that grace through Jesus Christ had come in. And Paul said, the kingdom of God, it's not a matter of eating and drinking, but it's actually a matter of righteousness, of peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. And, and he's nailing home the point is, Paul, that God's rule and reign is deeper than just what we do. It's more sustaining. It's, it's about righteousness, right standing with God. It's about peace, being at peace within, no matter what's going on around us. And it's about joy. Sometimes, man, we wish we could have that. That's the abundant life. So here will come probably one of the most unpopular teachings you'll ever hear in 2022. That actually that abundance, that depth and that strength, think of that Rimu tree, actually is revealed through a practice called silence and solitude. You think about a Rimu tree actually, or a great pine or a great other MDF tree. That's a little low for you because it's not growing in forest, MDF. They're actually growing even when we can't see it so slowly, so quietly, sometimes amongst other trees, but oftentimes alone. And even if they are alone, they still grow. They still do that. Jared actually mentioned to me when I said, you know, we're going to come up to silence and solitude. He said, oh, that will be real interesting. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe he thinks it's a metaphor, you know. Silence and solitude is a metaphor for something else, like his leaders, which would include me. We have obviously not explained it that often, 
And it's actually not a practice that is talked about much at all. That it's actually a channel that abundance can flow through in our lives. So the science and spirituality of silence and solitude is a really massive thing. And I bet introverts in the room are loving this already. They're like, yes, finally, we're the popular people. But it's actually not just about that. Um, silence and solitude is, isn't a philosophy that is actually that new. There are people who go on retreats. They pay good money. Um, they head away to lovely locations. They have stunning catering, uh, amazing lodgings. But there's just one catch. You are to stay silent the entire retreat. And I've often thought, actually, that'd be a great event to speak at, to be invited to speak at. The prep would be so fast, wouldn't it? But this man, there's a man, and his name is John Francis. He actually woke up one day, this man, he lives in America, and he decided he'd take one day just to listen to the world. He was becoming aware that he was starting to only listen to half of what people said. In fact, halfway through, he was already thinking of an answer, and he was starting to feel challenged about it. So after this one day of simply listening, he actually discovered that he was hearing things for the very first time, and not only from people, but in the world around him. He loved this day so much that he thought he might do another day. Same result, learning more, observing more. So he thought another day, and then another day. And John Francis got to seven days of silence and was absolutely shocked. So he thought he would try for a month, continue on. Once he hit the month, he's now convinced John Francis stayed silent for one year and then he made a commitment. And the commitment was he would continue on and he did it for 17 years. This is a man who is still alive today. He was silent for 17 years, during which he completed a doctorate, became a professor at a USA university and also became a representative to the UN all while functioning silently. And someone had once said, actually, maybe people don't give us opportunity because we do speak. <laughs> maybe if we didn't, perhaps they'd consider us far more intelligent than we actually are. Scientific research over the last 20 years has shown there's more to silence than just a gimmick. Three fascinating discoveries in science have recently been studied and published. First one was two hours of silence helps to promote new cells in the hippopotamus, sorry, the hippocampus. That's a part of our brains which process memory, emotion, and learning. The experiment and the discovery was accidental in 2001, finding that mice who were exposed to noise developed progressively positive outcomes when the testing controls were stopped and they, they, theirs was an accident that it was a two-hour pause and they discovered incredible responses. They went on to study in humans as well that if we had to just have two hours of quiet silence a day, then cells grow in that crucial part of the memory, emotive and learning parts of our brain Notably significant. Second discovery, scientific, unsurprisingly, that silence is statistically more effective when it comes to producing work, meaningful work, 
productive work. Um, it's also been noted in self-analyzing behavior. It regulates emotions. But this silent work acts as a default mode to the brain, which is actually really interesting because the neuropathways that are created whilst being silent and productive means that negative emotions have room to process and also that we end up doing more by doing less. Rather than the doing more in the noise, we end up actually accomplishing less. Thirdly, the third scientific research paper that came out was in 2002, specifically that I studied, describing what happens to us when we're surrounded by noise. In this study, it talked about environmental noise. An airport in Munich was actually being shifted and researchers discovered a shocking correlation in children who lived in close-lying areas because as they were shifting it, they wanted to work out what the impact on society would be. As they studied people close to the airport, they actually discovered the residual noise affected their health both physically and cognitively to a significant degree. Gary W. Evans, a professor in human ecology at Cornwell uh, University, notes that children who are exposed to noise develop a stress response. This stress response causes them to ignore the noise and the harmful stimuli, which actually they should be paying attention to, such as speech. The study said that it is among the strongest, probable, most definitive proofs that noise even at a level that does not harm the hearing, causes stress and is harmful to humans. So what is significant to me is that in the scientific window in Revelation, we discover more about what it means to be human in ourselves, but how wonderfully they parallel to spiritual discoveries and how God actually meets people and brings abundance into their lives. Some of the moments in the Scriptures of God significantly turning up in people's lives are in moments of silence and solitude. Uh, I want to talk about what God does in this. I want to kind of describe a couple of these moments. I want to bring that thought and challenge for our lives today as we live in a more busier world than ever before. These are some of the things God creates in silence and solitude. First of all, it aids our ability to hear His voice. So that kind of goes without saying, doesn't it? But it's not really a natural hearing. You'll know that if you've ever heard the Lord speak to you, more often than not, it is not an audible hearing. It's a hearing in your spirit, hearing in your heart. Even as you read the Word, something begins to speak to you. But this is, often we see this in Scripture. Even in 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah who is a man who experiences many moments of silence and solitude, he experienced God speaking powerfully. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart. That would sort of be the expectation you're about to hear of people when God speaks and moves. That it shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. Elijah's there in this moment. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And there'd be much to a lot of Christians dislike to hear that. <laughs> they're looking for these things. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, 
came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went and he stood at the mouth of the cave. What? When he heard it. It says, Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So again and again, God reveals just how quietly he is speaking, even in the Old Testament, and again in our lives through his Holy Spirit and the Word. And this is without a doubt, I think, strategic. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Isn't it just like God to whisper? It just goes to show he desires our closeness more than he even desires our ability to hear him. We need to hear him, we want to hear him. I was shocked in the studying scripture, scripture I've not thought of or, or really noticed much before. In Matthew 12, 19, it says, The Son of God shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice above the street noise. Did you hear that? Son of man shall not strive, shall not cry, neither shall any man hear his voice above the street noise. It's really fascinating to think that Jesus wasn't going around in, in the Gospels screaming, shouting, proclaiming. At many times he was able, if that's true, to speak to demons and they would just come out. He'd be able to do miracles and they would just happen. It was an amazing partnership. And I, and I think that there's something in this because maybe we are expecting God to start shouting at us to get our attention, but maybe He's already whispering to you and me. Maybe it's not our inability to hear Him that's the issue. It's the environmental or the situational noise that's deafening His whisper out. Maybe if we reduce the noise, maybe we would amplify His voice. And I want to encourage you that you can hear God's voice. And I want to encourage you, you need to hear His voice. He's got things to say to you, to quiet your spirit, anchor your soul, to be found in His love. The second thing we see God creating in silence and solitude is often healing. Elijah was not only a powerful prophet, but he's also clearly human. After the remarkable showdown on Mount Carmel, calling down fire and dealing with Ahab's stronghold powers, Elijah suffers almost immediately. 1 Kings 19.3 says Elijah was afraid. So it's kind of crazy because he didn't seem afraid when he was calling fire down and fire fell and burnt the sacrifice. But his natural man is kicking in and he begins to run for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, uh, while he was there, a day's journey into the wilderness. So this is very solitude-like now. He comes to a broom bush and he sits down under it. And this is what he prays. I pray I would die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. It says actually he was the last prophet was Elijah. And then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. At once an angel touched him and said, hey, time to hop up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. So God, through angelic visitation, is now providing Elijah's food and sustenance. So he ate and he drank, and then he lay down again. Then, verse 7, the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. 
So he got up and ate and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he travels for 40 days and 40 nights. Very familiar statement, 40 days, 40 nights. Until he reaches Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. And this is basically where the rub is, right? God is willing to do healing work in our lives. Elijah was totally depressed, totally despondent, suicidal. God will do healing work in our lives when we can really get together with him. Of course, we are his people, are agents of grace. And if we lay our hands on the sick, they shall recover. The Bible says it's a new covenant, New Testament era. But also the deeper healing that we often need comes by drawing away from the world, its noise, and even the very points in our souls that begin to suffer. His agenda, God's agenda, is to take care of us. Until we're willing, though, to get alone with God, can God ever watch over us? Could God ever feed us? Could God ever restore us? Just too much going on. Too much work stuff, too much even home stuff, too much of the the stuff that consumes us, too much worry, too much fear. If we break, if we get away, if we can stop, can not God re-strengthen you? And maybe the reason you seldom feel God's strength is because you're never able to be still before Him, never able to feed on His goodness. And I think it's notable that God not only can heal us in places where we are alone with Him, but also keep us healed too. So in our day-to-day interactions, having these moments of just ah, here with God, micro-feedings of His Word, micro-resting in the finished work of Christ, (laughs) in the love of God. If you were to do that on a daily basis, you would probably need less of the great rescue dramas and moments. But hear me when I say this, God is always willing, God is always able to deliver you. And number three, that's the third thing, that in silence and solitude, it's often God's way of delivering us. At the Red Sea in Exodus 13 and 14, panic and fear set into God's people as they stand on the edge of impossibility with an ocean in front of them and a raging army closing in behind them. They actually said to Moses as he had led them out of Egypt and slavery through a remarkable series of events that God had ordained, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you would bring us out here in the desert to die? But Moses said to the people, Exodus 14, 13, sorry, do not be afraid. Take your stand, be confident, see the salvation of the Lord, which you have seen today, And the Lord will fight for you if you just keep silent and remain calm. You will see the salvation of the Lord. Question, are you trying to strive and perform your way towards deliverance, towards answers, towards miracles? Don't. Stand. Quiet yourself. Hold fast to what God says and see what He might do. Did you hear that? Quiet yourself, stand silent, hold fast in your faith to what God has said is true and see what He might do. I I had to learn the hard way when Rebecca went through her health journey that whilst I was formed in lots of talking prayers and even passionate prayers, 
I didn't know this, but one of the great prayer areas that lacked in my life was quiet and silent prayer. I only discovered it by accident when I just flat out ran out of energy. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know what was ahead. We were getting not good reports after her surgery, which was unexpected. But because I was simply out of steam, I learned how to come before God and say, I'm out, I don't know, and just sit there. What I discovered was, this is not only a secret type of prayer, but it's a biblical prayer. To stand quietly before God and to let Him by His Spirit just be with you and dwell with you. Well, not only did I learn a valuable lesson during this traumatic time of our lives, but I haven't ever since stopped doing it. And my, say, preparation of a week coming to pre um, preach or minister or a moment where we might be traveling to minister, I will make sure in those moments there are times of sitting quietly and letting the Holy Spirit just bring His anointing into my life. Yes, at times I'm passionate, I'll shout, I'll, I'll declare all of that, but never miss the power of actually being able to stand before the Lord and see the deliverance. Stand, be silent, watch for the deliverance of the Lord. Would it take you more faith to stand silently trusting God, knowing He'll come through, or for you to spout off, strive, and say things because you're afraid He might not come through for you? Which would take more faith? You know, you can trust God. You can stand confidently in Him and see Him at work in your life. And then fourthly, finally, I, th I really see God creating wonderful answers in silence and solitude as a way of dealing with temptation. Yes, the 40 days and 40 nights of Elijah is mirrored once more in Jesus. Where in Matthew chapter 4, we forget, don't we, that the Son of God without sin was tempted. And he went into the desert and he was all alone. He had only the Father and also angels attending. But this was going to be enough for him. But in this moment of silence, in the moment of solitude, what happened? He was tempted, significantly tempted in key areas. Now, when you're quiet, and when I'm quiet, and when you're silent, when I'm silent, you might start thinking of things. You might start thinking of a conversation you had with your boss, or you might start thinking of an argument with a family member. Or you might start to feel angry, or you might start to think of something going on that you wish was not the case, but is the case, or you wish wasn't the case, and, or whatever. You know, I heard one theologian say that this is a little bit like us entering a phase where in our, finally our subconscious life is being revealed because we are reducing the noises of everyday life. And right there, you might find an area where you are being tempted. And that's really good because that is often or sometimes often the reason why some of the things are going on in your life is because maybe a resentment, maybe there's jealousy, maybe there's strife, maybe there's envy, maybe there's um, you know just, just unforgiveness, bitterness. Maybe there is just, maybe it is anger like I said, but until you're quiet, until you're silent, you just don't realise and is it that you're coming face to face with the devil like Jesus did in your temptation? Well, maybe not face to face, but I can assure you that the enemy would love to get into the 
subconscious areas of your life. So what's going on when you're quiet? What's going on when you're on your own? God is giving you opportunity to dig out of the deeper places of your life, the very things that are causing you strife. You might manifest the issue in this area of your life or in this way, but be sure there'll be a deeper reason until you are quiet enough and alone enough. God often will struggle to cause you to actually discover those temptations, discover those drivers. And like Jesus, we must go through this. We must have moments in time where we are silent, moments in time where we're on our own before the Father and we say, it is written. No, take that out of me. Lord, no, I forgive whatever it would be and stand safely in His care. And I want to encourage you as well that, you know, the, this practice, it's a way of journeying well through life, well through life. And to consider that, you know, we're surrounded by so much noise, so much media, so many news headlines, that there could be a real miracle waiting on the other side of this. So what should we do with this? Well, we're starting a couple of weeks on it. So we've got time to think it through. But how about I suggest, first of all, you don't go home and tell your family that you're going to do a 17-year retreat. It's probably not going to be appreciated. And uh, that would take you through to 2039. Uh, Nor should you go home and just radically shift and change things immediately. But maybe I could suggest you start with a couple of things or at least considering a couple of things. Number one. Can you start leaving gaps between things in your life where you can pause and consider Christ quietly? Rather than packing every spare minute with endless activity, can you make margins appear? Can you shut off the noise and just let the Spirit of God who is there with you, already there, do the work that He's already so desiring to do, but in silence? Just margin, just space. Number two, Can you also identify any reason why you would like not to be silent or alone before God? Is there a connection to abandonment or is there a connection to, you know, silence being really awkward and uncomfortable? If if it is and you can identify that, even in our connect groups this week, maybe it'd be an amazing thing to start to talk about. Wonder how long you could go in silence before it's just intolerable. But I would encourage you to identify what it is that, you know, is going on. Maybe even in your life, maybe you still evaluate your life's worth on the basis of what you can achieve and do. If that's the case, you're never going to be still. You're never going to be quiet. And you're never going to take time. Your life is worth so much more. Your life is so much more than your bank account, than your job description, than what people think you achieve. You're so valuable to God. Thirdly, would you consider a two-hour challenge, two hours. Could you imagine yourself at the end of the day or at the start of the day or maybe once a week even where you might not feel like anything's happening but you just stop, you silence yourself and you come away with your heavenly Father to see what He is doing in your life. Would you be up for that? Would you want to give it a go? A little side note, it does concern me with our kids and the next generation. They're just constantly entertained constantly engaged 
Screens are just constantly going. This should be of the utmost concern. I don't know about the strategies. We may need to talk about it more, but generationally, if, if, if people do not have gaps, there are going to be massive ramifications uh, down the line. Fourthly, how noisy is your life? What things are mindless? Does talkback radio really need to be playing in the background of your day when you don't even really care about their opinions anyway? <laughs> is, there a, is there a way to noise reduce? Lastly, how keen are you or how hungry are you to be more aware of God? It's, it's actually expanding your understanding that to be more aware of God isn't just about ranting on to him for hours or constantly being, you know, in Christian jargon. To even entertain this concept, the powerful element of stark silence is going to be just in you and God together. And are you keen for that? Do you want to be more aware of him already being present, already being at work? And guys, that's our prayer, that we would know the creative power of this and we would be a little more silent, experience a little more solitude. And I do hear parents, by the way, right now going, you're dreaming, mate. <laughs> I've got all these kids around me. And I know that. We've had those seasons too. But again, like I said, micro moments, just element moments. Like if you have just had a huge day, rather than just going straight on social media, can you spend 15 minutes just sitting quietly with the scriptures maybe? I'd discourage people to sit quietly on your own listening to podcasts or YouTubes. I don't think it's quite silent, is it? But just to sit, make a cup of tea. Just herbal, I don't, whatever. <laughs> just, just to rethink our lives. And out of this, the prayer is going to be more abundance, more depth. You're going to be a remu tree in no time. You're going to be the kind of tree Jesus talked about where birds of the air will come and they will be able to find rest in your branches, in your life. Because of the way you live, others are going to come and experience rest. Isn't that beautiful? And the kingdom of God is going to flourish, not only in your life, but in the lives of those around you. And I want to pray right now. I want to pray for us. I just think this is a huge opportunity. It's a little bit of an experimental thing for us as we start to talk about these things but I know that God just wants to bring peace and calm and Father I just thank you right now that your word is so clear that you are a God who meets us in moments where we are alone quiet before you would you do a work today in the very depths of our souls that we would be able to do as David wrote Psalm 46 to be still and know that you are God. To remember in that verse that it was you who said it, Lord. You said, be still and know that I am God. And I pray for a stillness today. I pray for a calm today. I pray for a supernatural delight and hunger that all the things that we've spoken about would get under people's skin. I pray, Holy Spirit, right now you'd move all over this place and online and you begin to heal. And you begin to take off that depression. I just feel like there's someone in this room and you started to feel so low, so squeezed, so suppressed and depressed. Father, I pray right now, just as we are quiet before you, speaking with you, 
that deliverance right now. Anxiety, I command you to lift, to leave in Jesus' name. Just pray, I feel like there's someone here with a cancer journey, just going through cancer, maybe online. Let's pray for healing into your cells right now. You'd sit quietly before the Lord, even as the service finishes up, and you just wait on Him. And you let His fire, and you let His power touch you from the top of your head to the tip of your toe. There's someone here with a spine issue and condition, and I just pray for a realignment of the vertebrae, realignment of your back, realignment. You're going to feel the power of God the flowing down your back, this heat transferring down, and God's just coming to do a restoration work. God's coming to do a restoration work. Others of you with flu, um, there's someone with a bad flu, just pray for that healing power to rest on you right now. Someone here, identity, you really just don't know who you are in Christ. I, I just sense the Lord is wanting to show you. He says, come away with me and discover who you really are as you discover who I am. So I just pray there'd just be a real supernatural work, Lord God, um, in that person or pe those people's lives that they really discover. And so thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just all with us right now in this room, just in your heart, just begin to say thank you, Lord. Thank him for who he is in your heart. Even as we learn to sit quietly, we're just thankful, Lord. We're here with you. Your power is just abundant. You're moving beyond what we can ask or hope or imagine in this moment right now. We're becoming richer and deeper. Our roots are going further into the ground. Abundance of grace is flowing. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.